Our speaker for this hour is Ben Phillips. Uh, ben is a 2004 graduate of the Memphis School of Preaching and then graduated in 2006 um, from Amherst. Uh, he's been preaching in Virginia, Hampton, Virginia, since 2004. Um, so quite a bit of experience on his belt. This is actually the first time I've met Ben. Um, and so I know him just a couple of minutes, but even from what I've met him, uh, seems like a very friendly guy, um, easy to like. Um, and it was a pleasure to meet him. I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to talk to us about today. Uh, our topic is, you have your truth and I have mine. Is that possible? Important question. Looking forward to see what Ben has to say to us. Come preach the word, brother. Preach the word. So just last Sunday, I had a young lady come up to me at the congregation there. She is a sophomore at the College of William and Mary. Some of you may have heard of it, some of you may not have, who knows. Uh, I've not been on this end of the country, so I don't know how familiar y'all are with how things go out toward the end that I'm used to. See, I live right by the Chesapeake Bay. So you've got the Rockies, I've got the water, so maybe we can trade a little bit sometime. But she came up to me, and she's a great young lady. Her mother is a faithful Christian. Her brother is a Christian, and she is trying to navigate what is a, a very progressive campus as a young Christian lady. And she asked me about a situation she's found herself in. She says, I have a good friend who has decided she's going to change her pronouns. She's decided that she is transgender. And how do I deal with that? She said, I don't want to give truth to a lie. I don't want to take something that isn't true and make it true by my behavior toward her. How do I handle that? Well, I was encouraged just to have the question. Just to have someone come to me and say, hey, I'm dealing with the situation. It's difficult. I don't know how to approach it. What do I do about this friend that I have who has this belief that is not true? Now, that comes in a lot of shades, doesn't it? And to some degree, we might be tempted to say more so now than in some years past. And there's got to be a little bit of truth to that, it seems. And yet truth doesn't really change. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. You have your truth and I have mine. Is that possible? Let's just give the short answer right away. Absolutely not. It, truth is truth. Now, now here's the thing that, that this is encountering. When this young lady came up to, to the sister in Christ and said, here are my pronouns. Here's how I want to be known. Here's, here's how I want to be addressed. She, that is the sister, was faced with a challenge. A challenge to either acknowledge different truths or to simply be faithful to the truth of the situation. That's not easy. It's not easy when it's your friends. It's not easy when it's your well, fellow students at school. It's not easy even when sometimes it springs up from within the congregation that, that you may be a member of. It's just not easy to deal with. And yet there are some basic things that, that we can understand, some basic ideas that we can have in mind that, that might help you a little bit to, to understand that. So I, I, I'm going to ask Drayton here. Is that how you pronounce your first name? Yeah. All right, I'm, I'm going to give you a, a $5 bill if you can answer this question correctly. Okay? You ready for it? Sure. What is five times five? Five. 
25. He had to think about it for a moment. So, so here's a $5 bill, right? Take a look at that. Is that a $5 bill? Just take a look at it. Unroll it. Look at it. It's all right. <laughs> He's nervous. He said, why is he calling me out like this? Is that a $5 bill? Hold it up for everybody. Is that a $5 bill? No. Now, you say no. Well, I think it is. I think it is. I think that's a $5 bill. Now, what if you split dinner with somebody? Ever, ever split dinner with a friend? Ever go to the movies and, and they pick up your ticket or you pick up their ticket and, and then you're expected to give a little bit of money back to them? Uh, let's say that friend owes you $10, which that's probably cheap for a movie ticket now, right? But, but let's say $10 just for a nice even number. And they hand you five. Are you, are you going to think, you know what? Yeah, that's all you owe me. We're good now. Why, why not? Because 10 and 5 are different, aren't they? See, see, that illustration is meant to demonstrate just a fundamental concept with regards to truth. Truth is that which corresponds with reality. The reality is that I can call that dollar bill a $5 bill, right? I, I can say all day long, this is $5. But you will look at me and think, I have lost my mind. What is this fool from Virginia talking about? That's not how money works, right? Say, that's a $1 bill. And with that $1 bill plus tax, you can't even buy something at McDonald's, can you? I mean, that's the reality of it. That's nothing. That, that's, that's little. That's not much at all. But that is the essence of what's happening when someone says, I have my truth and you have yours. To me, the $1 bill is a $5 bill. But to you, it's a $1 bill. We each have our own truth. Society can't function that way, can it? The world can't function that way. I asked him another question, and amongst that, to get the bill, what is five times five? Wouldn't it be great if you could go into your math classes, and every time you got an answer wrong, tell your teacher, oh, that's just my truth. Wouldn't it be terrific if you could walk into history? I found, for some reason, a lot of my teenagers back home hate history. Maybe, I don't know, maybe that's amongst y'all, too. Walk into history, and, and they, they ask the question about who was the leader of this nation, or what's the capital of that place, or tell me the, the causes behind this event. And, and you give an answer, and the teacher marks it wrong. You say, no, 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 that, you can't mark me wrong. That's my truth. That's what I believe happened. That's not how it works, right? Because events actually happen as they happen. I live in an area that's known as the historic triangle. Because right up the street from me is Yorktown, Jamestown, and Colonial Williamsburg. Now, if you have any essence of American history knowledge, you'll recognize some of those names, if not all of them. There are events that actually happened in those places at certain times and certain dates with certain people that are historically relevant. Jamestown is relevant because of the English settlement that was started there among the first, technically, if you take Roanoke out of the equation, which is down the road a little bit, Jamestown is that, that location, settlement, English settlement in America. This is a big deal. Yorktown is where the Revolutionary War was basically concluded. That's where General Cornwallis and such surrendered to the American forces because he was entrapped. And Colonial Williamsburg was the original capital of Colonial Virginia long before Richmond ever became the capital. So there's history there. Well, you don't have individuals walk into those places and start talking about this event and that event and get it all wrong without correction. Because it's real events in real places at real times. That's what we talk about when we talk about truth. Truth is that which corresponds with objective reality. But what happens when everybody decides truth doesn't matter any longer? 
What happens when, when in the church, truth doesn't matter? What happens? If we say there is no objective truth, you have your truth, I have my truth. Truth ceases to exist. Fundamentally, truth ceases to exist. And if we start to take the Bible in the same way and say on one hand, you believe this about this text, and on the other hand, I believe this about this text, then we've eliminated biblical truth. And so when we take truth and say, you have yours, I have mine, what we do is lose truth. Now let's talk about this from, from two perspectives this morning. The first one, I, I want us to reason some just from outside of scriptures. Just to talk about life and why truth matters in everyday life. I've given a few illustrations already, but, but let's dig into that a little bit more. Then, then the second place, what I want us to do is, is ask, what does the Bible care about truth? Is, is truth even a concern biblically? Now, I know you're already saying yes, and that's great. But let's, let's get there in a few moments. Let's begin by asking the question with regards to truth is, what is it? Well, I've mentioned a couple times, truth is that which corresponds with reality. In other words, truth is dependent upon what actually is. So going back to the dollar bill illustration for a moment, it actually is a dollar bill. Therefore, one can say the truth is this is a dollar bill because that is the reality of the situation. This object is not going to change. I'm not going to put it out behind my back and pull out a $5 bill. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to be able to, by some force of magic, to, to hocus pocus whatever. I know some Harry Potter spell and, and turn it into something else. That's not how it, I grew up loving Harry Potter. I'm sorry. Got to throw in a reference. Not going to happen. That's not how it works, right? That's not how truth functions because this object is set. It is what it is. My dad used to say sometimes when I try to lie to him, he'd say, you can call a dog a cat, but it doesn't make the dog a cat. Right? He was making a simple point to me. It's like, you can call what you did whatever you want to call it, but it doesn't change the reality of what you did because I had performed a certain action that I had, had not had permission or ought not to have performed, and I'm trying to call it something else. And dad says, no, 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 you, you can't do that. You can't say that. That's not what actually took place. That's what we talk about when we talk about truth corresponding with objective reality. Now, now you might say that's philosophical, that's high-minded. Why do I need to appreciate that? Because that's the fundamentals of truth. That's the essence of truth. It is what reality actually is. So when we talk about God, for instance, some would, would say, well, you believe in God, I don't believe in God, and what's it really matter? We're all just trying to get through this life. Well, it matters because reality demands that God exists. Now, there's a few lessons I noticed on the agenda this weekend that deal with apologetics. I hope you pay attention to those. I hope you, you dig into the evidences for God and for His Word, why we can trust His existence and why we can trust the Scripture. That's beyond my lesson. I wish we had time to get into that as well, but we just simply don't. But God is, therefore, this reality as we know it. The truth is that God is. It's what corresponds with reality. It's what matches up 
with what we can learn and what we can understand and what we can witness. Now, when we talk about it mattering in everyday life, think back to that illustration with regards to that high school test, that math test, that history test, where you have to know the right answer. Truth matters there, doesn't it? It matters in that instance with your friend where you're trying to square up that money that you owe each other. Truth matters then. And as you eventually you know, have a job and, and you're working for an employer and you're the employee, as some of you probably already are, and you're making some money, well, if you work 15 hours and you're promised so much per hour, when you get that paycheck, you have a number you're expecting, don't you? Say that you're making just above minimum wage at 9 $10, at least for us. I don't know if Colorado has a separate minimum wage law. I, I don't know. But for us, you know, take the standard federal minimum wage and you multiply that by those 15 hours and you get what you expect to get on your check, right? Now, what happens if, if you walk in and you go to collect your check and it's $50 less than you thought? Well, what's going to happen? For one, you're going to start being upset because you're thinking about all the things you can't buy now you wanted to buy and do. But also, you're going to be like, hold on, wait. Something's wrong here because truth matters. When you go to the doctor, truth matters, doesn't it? You want to know what is actually the situation, what's actually the case. You want to know, what about friendship? Does truth matter in friendship? Some of you say yes. Some of you aren't saying anything at all. Truth matters, doesn't it? You don't want someone who lies to you all the time. You ever had somebody who was a friend, constantly full of lies? Constantly telling you something that wasn't true? Well, well, truth matters, doesn't it? You know, the website How Stuff Works, I don't know how many of you are familiar with that, but, but How Stuff Works, they wrote about lying. And in writing about lying, they, they acknowledged this. They said, lying isn't a sign of moral depravity, except when it is. Lying is a sign of cognitive advancement. It requires a fertile and high-functioning brain to take something as simple as the truth and twist it, palming off the deception on someone else with the earnestness of a choir boy. Here's an interesting thing. They used the term truth, didn't they? They, they can't speak about lying without speaking about truth. Because there is that reality. There is that objective truth of what actually is. Now, they, they may very, they may there dismiss lying. It's not too big of a deal. It just shows a mature mind and ability to think. But the essence of that is a dismissal of truth. And they acknowledge that. Lying can't exist. Think about how much pain, how many problems is caused when People simply aren't honest with each other. But let me give, give one other illustration here. Are you able to, maybe I shouldn't answer, ask this question quite this way. When Brett teaches you, are you able to understand what he is saying to you? Generally speaking, be kind. Yes or no? Yes, right? Why can you understand what he's saying? Why, when you and your friends are having a conversation, whether in person or through whatever means that you're choosing to have it through Snapchat, Instagram, whatever way in which you're interacting and communicating with each other, when you do that, how is it that you can understand each other? 
How is it that you can know exactly what, what your friend is saying, what, what this person is, is actually meaning? How is that possible? Because communication depends on language, and language depends on truth. The words that you use have meaning. And the only way you can have that conversation with those people is that truth exists, that this word actually has this meaning, and so you can comprehend it. These are the things that when we talk about truth matter in everyday life, these are things we're talking about. You can't function in life without truth. And so as much as there is a, a segment of our society that wants to say, well, truth is relative. Truth depends on what you think, what you believe. Truth just, well, it's flexible. It's malleable. You have yours and you have, and I have mine. They actually don't practice life that way. They actually don't live that way because when they tell you that, they're expecting you to understand what they're saying. When, when they make that argument, they're actually using communication and the truth of what those words mean to communicate to you that there is no such thing as truth. Now think about the contradiction in that. Think about how crazy that is. If we actually all had our own truth, we could never communicate with each other. We could never have a conversation unless your truth and my truth just happen to align on a couple of points. And what are the odds of that happening? If you look around this room right now, I don't see anybody wearing the exact same outfit. If words have as many meanings as we want them to have, it'd be like clothes. How often are you actually going to wear the same thing exactly like the other person that you happen to encounter? She's not going to be. So that's, that's just looking at truth from the perspective of, of just a logical, philosophical, even some might say, perspective. But let's drill down a little bit more with the time we have remaining. Let's talk about truth in the Bible. And man, I hope you have your Bibles. This is where we're really going to start opening them up and dealing with them. And, and I want to begin with the interaction that Jesus and Pilate had. You know the interaction, don't you? John chapter 18. Jesus has been betrayed. He's been delivered to Pilate for judgment. And of course, Pilate is in essence going to do whatever is politically expedient for himself, isn't he? But he does put some questions to Jesus and, and he does interact with him just a little bit. Now I want you to begin reading with me at verse 34, at verse 33. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation, chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? What is truth? That's a question, isn't it? That is really the root of what we're talking about, and yet Jesus had already told him what truth was. Pilate said, Are you king of the Jews. Jesus answered, you speak rightly. For this cause I came to the world, and this is why I am here. This is the truth. Now what can we take from that? One, was 
And is Jesus a king slash, sometimes we prefer to say, the king? Yes. He was king then, even if not acknowledged, and he certainly has been declared king now without any one in comparison to himself. That's who he was. And so when Jesus is asked a question, he responds with the reality of the situation. This is the objective reality. This is who he is. If he said no, he'd be lying. If he said I'm not sure, he would be lying. He gave a truthful answer to Pilate. And then he said something especially significant for our conversation this morning. He said, I have come to bear witness to the truth. And those who are of the truth come to me. I came to bear witness to truth. To speak and to show what actually is. Sometimes we talk about Jesus and we speak of him as being the the great example We speak of him as being the one that that we ought to imitate in all of our lives. And and we love to quote the Apostle Paul, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. But what does Jesus mean? What is he saying when he says, I came to bear witness to the truth? We know his word, sanctify them by thy word, thy word is truth, John 17, 17, right? We we know that. But it wasn't just that Jesus' words were truth. It is that his life was a testimony to truth itself. God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them, right? Going back to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. God intended man to be a certain way, to live a certain way, to interact with him in a certain way. But we blew that, didn't we? And then when I say we, I mean going back to Adam and Eve and all the way down. Romans 3, 23, all sin, control the glory of God. We blew that. We have not been what God intended us to be. God said, this is how you are meant to live. Jesus comes bearing witness to the truth, to how man is actually called to live. It's not just his word, but it is is his life as well that is a testimony to truth. Now, the biblical language deals with truth. Over Over 225 times in the scriptures, you'll have the concept of truth dealt with. In fact, you have the word truth translated in the New King James Version 225 times. You have the word false translated 91 times. There's this concern with what is true and that which is false. That which is right and that which is wrong oftentimes. There's this concern. And in the Hebrew, they had a a word emet that related to this idea of truth. and, And it had this concept of what corresponds with reality. In fact, Moses uses this concept when he talks about how you can know whether a prophet is a prophet. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 18 for just a moment. You remember in this context that Moses is letting them know that there is going to be a prophet that God is going to raise up like unto himself. But he says, him you shall hear. And that's speaking, frankly, of Jesus. It says, speaking of the Christ. But I want you to go down to verse 21. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? 
When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Do you see what Moses does? He says, you can know that which is true and that which is not true. He doesn't even use the terms here, but he uses the concept, doesn't he? Because the people want to know, well, how can we know that what this prophet said is actually from God? So Moses says, well, does it happen or not? He says, that's, that's the test. Does it actually come to pass or not? Does what the prophet says to you align with what the reality of the situation is? Remember our basic definition of truth? That which corresponds with reality? Here is Moses making that very argument. If the prophet says, I speak for God, but what he says from God doesn't actually happen, he's not speaking for God. If it doesn't align with reality. If it doesn't align with what actually happens. You come to the New Testament, Paul is concerned about truth, isn't he? He's concerned about the truth as declared by God. Ephesians 1 at verse 13. He calls out this gospel, this, this law of Christ. And we know that this man, Paul, man, he gave up a lot for this gospel, didn't he? He sacrificed tremendously. So he had to believe that what he was doing was after truth. It's what was right. So that's the kind of man he was. That's the character we know he has. That's what the New Testament tells us. And look what he says about the Word of God. He says, In Him you trusted after you heard the Word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. After you heard the Word of truth. When we start to speak about the Bible, we're talking about something beyond even 2 plus 2 equals 4. 5 times 5 equals 25. Because now we're getting into the discussion of how truth actually impacts how we live. Morality. Ethics. What is right? What is wrong? How many times have you heard recently through the news and through social media and other things, have you heard this idea of transgender rights? or reproductive rights, or homosexual rights. You've heard these terms being used. I assume it's kind of hard not to live in, in our world without hearing this terminology. And, and it's this rights terminology. It's saying that, that the only right thing is that these people receive this kind of treatment or this kind of acknowledgement. It is a right. It is fundamental. It is truth. That's the argument that's being made. God comes to us with the Scripture. And through His Apostle Paul, He says, this is truth. So whether we're talking about the, the Old Testament, we're talking about the New Testament, they are both concerned with the idea of truth. Jesus is concerned about it. His apostles are concerned about it. The lawgivers of the past are concerned about it. Let's look at another verse. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 1. You know, the book of Hebrews shows us the greatness, the majesty of Christ. It exalts Him before us. But it begins by telling us something about Him that is of utter significance for what we're discussing at this moment. 
And verse 3, describing Christ, who being the brightness of His glory, that is of the Father's glory, and the express image of His person, that, that is the Father's person, and upholding all things by the word of His power. Now, just, just stop there. That's sufficient for us. The express image of His person. What does John 14 and verse 6 say? Anyone know it? Someone turn over there and read it. John 14 and verse 6. I doubt you've had too many speakers ask you to read. I don't know, but something I sometimes do. John 14 and verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thank you. Way to take the initiative. I am the way, the truth. I am the truth. Well, we're told here in Hebrews 1 verse 3 that he is the express image. That means an exact duplicate. You know, when you take a picture, that's not a duplicate. It's a, it's a 2D representation, isn't it? It's flat. It's on a piece of paper. It is a representation of that person at that point in time. But it isn't an exact image of that person. Not fully. An exact image, you'd have to literally duplicate the person that's standing there and have someone that looks just like them in 3D model, thinks just like them, acts just like them. You would have to have someone who is the very essence of who they are displayed right there for them. That's who Jesus is as it relates to the Father. He says, if you want to know who the Father is, if you want to know about Him, see me, know me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? That's an argument that he makes. Now, when we look at Hebrews 1-3, he says, I am the express image of my Father. Well, if he says, I am truth, what does that tell us about the nature of the Father then? He is truth. In fact, the, the Holy Spirit is described as the Spirit of truth. John 14 and verse 17. So we have Jesus who says, I am truth. We have the Father who is the God of truth. Psalm 31 and verse 5. We have Jesus who is truth. God the Father who is the truth. We have the spirit of truth. What's this tell us about the Godhead? The Godhead is inseparably tied to truth. Now, that means everything that God says, everything that God asks of us as to how we live, means everything as it relates to God and man and his interaction, who he is, is an expression of truth. Remember when John is describing the incarnation in John chapter 1? He describes Jesus as being full of grace and... What's the other word? Come on, you ought to be able to guess in this session. Truth. There you go. He's full of grace and truth. Don't miss what the scriptures are saying. God is the essence of truth. He is truth. He is reality. Everything that we are, everything that exists, exists because of Him and through Him, doesn't it? In fact, that's one of the arguments made with regards to Jesus in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, isn't it? That all things are created were created through Him. It's a reflection of Him and who He is. That's why Psalm 19 is as powerful as it is. Because what does Psalm 19 do for us? It combines in the first place the truth of God that is knowable by creation itself. Paul will make that same argument, won't he, in Romans chapter 1 
as he's dealing with those who have forsaken God and, and worship the creature more than the, the creator. But Psalm 19 tells us the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. I have to confess, one of the reasons why I follow uh, Brother Hyde here on Facebook is because of, of the imagery, the photographs that, that he often posts from the region and the Milky Way and the beauty of it all. I, I love that. For a while I used one of them as the background on my iPad. It's just gorgeous. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. But, but then you skip down a little bit and it says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Who God is, is is testified to in this creation, this creation, and the way in which it depends upon truth. In God's word, as the essence of truth, is a testimony of the fact that God is true. Now, let me illustrate for you what I mean by this creation depending on truth. You guys, what, what's going to happen if I drop this lid, the lid to my water bottle here? What's going to happen to it? Oh, you know the answer. It's going to fall to the floor, right? There it is. Now, I don't know if I'm going to put it back on my water bottle, but the lid's on the floor now. We knew what would happen. Why? Because this entire world in which we live is based upon fundamental truths, isn't it? We call that gravity. We understand that if we drop that, it is going to hit the ground. How did we put a man on the moon 50 years ago? How do we do that? It's science, right? Well, science doesn't work if there's not a reality of truth undergirding that. That this will always be this way. You can't calculate anything with regards to how the moon and the earth and the right orbit and the, the right amount of speed that you need depending on the weight of the vehicle to escape Earth's orbit. You can't do any you can't do any of that. If there's not truth. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows us handiwork. Truth is all around us in this world in which we live. But then the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The law of the Lord is the second part of that truth. We not just have a testimony around us to how everything exists within what actually is truth. But we have the law of the Lord telling us what God's truth is for us as it relates to how we should live before Him. That's what the Scripture presents to us. Have you ever taken the time to read Psalm 119 in one sitting? Brett's the only one shaking his head yes. If you haven't done it, take some time after this weekend is done and you know the, the post-lectureship uh, hangover wears off. I, I know how it is to be involved in all that. When your brain is clear, sit down and read Psalm 119 from the very first verse to the very last verse and see if David isn't obsessed with how God's Word can order and direct his life rightly we might say even more accurately righteously because it is truth you see the Godhead is truth and the Godhead has expressed that truth to us in the word of God now I only have a couple minutes left so let's let's ask this question what do we lose without absolute biblical truth well you lose faith You lose faith. Faith is grounded in the Word of God, isn't it? So then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Romans 10 and verse 17. 
If the word of God is not truth, faith rests upon sand, doesn't it? And if you live where I live, you spent some time with the sand and you know how, well, unsure the footing will be in sand. You lose faith. You don't have any way to know whether or not you're interacting with God the way he wants you to interact with him. You don't have any idea if you're living the way you ought to live, if that's pleasing to God or not. Because now you don't have any foundation for faith. But the word of God is truth, and thus you can have faith. But you don't just lose that, you also lose genuine freedom. Because when we know who we were created to be, then we actually are free to be who we were intended to be. Now, I hear a lot about about how I'm just being myself. I'm just being who I was meant to be. But those of us who approach that question of life from a biblical perspective, we we don't go out here and see what's popular, what, what is trendy in the world today. We don't do that. Whether it's regarding gender or sexuality or clothing or priorities or anything else, we don't do that. We don't place our value on our worth and how many likes we get or how many shares or or how many interactions we have on the different platforms in which we're involved. That's not what matters to us because we know our life is lived based upon who God is and what he would have of us. And so now we have freedom because I realize, hey, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole of man, right? Ecclesiastes 12, 30, 40. Now I understand this is what life is about. It's about God. And when I'm free to live for God, then, you know, a lot of other things don't matter. There was a young lady when I was in high school. I would have sworn to you I was going to marry her. She was a member of the church, and we had a relationship. I went off to college, and when we kept that relationship, she was about a year behind me. I was a senior, she was a junior, and then I graduated and went on. And and I would have sworn to you that that was going to be my life. But I was wrong. I'm glad I was. My wife is a wonderful lady, and she's born three beautiful, tremendously talented and gifted children who love the Lord into my life. And... I'm so thankful for her because I wouldn't be who I am without the woman that I have by my side. But, but I, I say that because sometimes our heart is convinced that it wants this. When in reality, I can tell you that one that I wanted so dearly wasn't good for me at all. Even though she was a member of the church. I wanted what I wanted. But I can guarantee you it wasn't in line with Let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole of man. We lose that freedom to actually be who God created us to be. Faithful servants to him. We lose morality. An objective morality. Think about what has happened just historically in the last 50 years. We've gone from the women's rights movement into the gay movement starting in in America to where we are today and and now they're fighting amongst themselves. The traditional feminists are like, hey, women need to stick together and be women. And and the newer feminists are like, yeah, but these guys over here, they claim to be women too, so they've got to be in our... 
there's fighting, there's inconsistency, there's no objective morality. It's going to be whatever our society dictates is most convenient at the time. But the thing about Scripture is God says this is right, and it remains right. Or God says, this is not how you ought to live before me. And it remains. So that's the nature of biblical morality. And we lose that when we forfeit biblical truth. So fundamentally, let me just say again, are there different truths for different people? There can't be. It's inconsistent with the very essence of truth. It's inconsistent with how we live our lives. You live every day dependent upon truth. And truth being truth. And when it comes to the Scriptures, they declare themselves to be truth. Jesus says, I'm the embodiment of truth. Our Father is the God of truth. The Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And so we need to go there and be one in that truth. And we can be if we'll make it about the God of truth and not about my truth. Appreciate your kind attention this morning. Hopefully we've been encouraging to you in some way. And you can keep that dollar bill if you want to trade it. <laughs> I give it back. You did, but I give it back. That's what I'm saying. No way. That was a, a very deep philosophical study on the idea of truth. Uh, why is our world so messed up? It's because we don't have truth. We can't agree on truth. We don't uh, acknowledge that there's truth. Um, and if Jesus is truth, then what that means is we can't. We don't like Jesus and we don't want to acknowledge him and, uh, if he was in our lives more, boy, we'd all be the better for it. Uh, the more that we can help people bring them to the truth, the better everyone's going to be. Thank you, Ben, for that very much. Let's have a word of prayer um, and then just a brief announcement after that. Holy Father, thank you so much for giving us the truth. Thank you for giving us the guideline for our lives, for giving us your Son, who has shown us uh, so accurately how we are to live, how we are to behave, how to be saved and to give us the answers of, of life's most important questions. Lord, help us to align our lives with the truth. Help us to show others the truth in love. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Okay, we're about to go into a uh, break in just one moment. Just want to remind you, we'll have lunch break until 2.30. And at 2.30, we'll have our next, les- next lesson.